0: The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM stereo. In
1: conversation with Shafiq Morden. We are in conversation with and we to be talking Africa, weekly Africa report. In the menu, on the menu, Chad President Idris Deby killed in battle with rebels. What was he doing there? Zimbabwe Parliament votes to scrap presidential running mate rule and some other rules which are quite concerning. And ethnic violence surges in Ethiopia. Online for comment is Dr. Paul Kariuki, Executive Director, Democracy Development Program at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. He is also the convener at the Africa Policy Circle, APC for short. Dr. Paul Kariuki, welcome.
0: Thank you so much, Shafiq, for having me on the show, and good afternoon to your listeners.
1: In fact, uh, just uh, late yesterday afternoon... Uh, as we went on air, Chad President Idris Deby, the news came through that he'd been killed in a battle with Chadian rebels. Um, Idris Deby trying to make sure he could stay another 30 years in power. Uh, My question, and I don't know whether you've got the the answer, it's sort of almost rhetorical, what was a 68-year-old president doing fighting rebels?
0: (laughs) Well, Perhaps this is one of those days he felt a little bit better about himself and decided to step in the battlefront, and unfortunately he had to meet his death that way. Uh, it's still an unfolding story, so uh, there's very uh, little detail around what really motivated him to go there, except for speculations. Like as the head of the state probably he wanted to get into closer to the situation and see what's happening there. Uh, but unfortunately he had to meet his death that way. By being exposed to, uh, you know what you would call uh, a frontline.
1: Yeah, and um, it certainly has uh, ended an era, <clears throat> an era in uh, Chad. And of course, um, Chad is one of the poorest countries in Africa. Uh, I've been there, and I, c- I promise you, it is uh but i mean but i mean now he puts his son or somebody's put his son in control of the country so it's not going from uh, worse to better it's going from worse to worse
0: and that's the sad part um uh mr shafiq because um a country does not belong to a family and so and it's also not a kingdom such that there is, a, you know, succession, a succession planning, uh, that it moves from uh, from the father to the eldest son. So this is a, one would want to believe it's a democratic country that is underpinned with democratic values and principles, and so um, the succession of his son. Um, isn't one of those ideals that we would want to see on our continent, given that our continent is also riddled with a lot of this kind of, um, uh, you know, power angling that moves from one hand of the family to the next. And so even if it was endorsed by the interim government, it's still a very interim measure, which also in many ways creates room for um, ongoing development. Uh, instability in the country because um the, there is very very much recipe for uh, a coup to take place should he should the sun decide not to step down post the interim period so um it's not even i would be very hesitant even to state a short term gap uh, measure because the risks that it it exposes the country to are too grievous uh, given the 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 instability in the country right now due to the insurgencies, but at the same time also it's a bad move democratically.
1: Yeah, I mean the army has taken over, and yes. Deby's son, uh, mohammed Idris Davi swiftly named interim president. Um, he's also uh, an army man, but I mean they've dissolved the government, the national assembly. 18-month transitional council, and we, we, we know exactly what it means when an army says an 18-month transitional council. Mm. Uh, constitution has been put on ice, uh, 14-day mourning period, closure mm. of land and air borders, a curfew. I mean, this is pretty radical just because the leader of the country has died.
0: And that's one of the things also that qualify my statement by saying it's a very undemocratic move that you would, would not have suspected that it would go to that direction. Because the fact that they, the president has died does not justify the suspension of the constitution of the land. And so there has to be, I would want to believe, I've not studied the constitution of Chad the Republic, but I want to believe that there is uh, provisions uh, stipulated there that could perhaps will direct the country in a succession of what needs to happen in the interim should the president, you know, pass on like in this case. So I'm assuming that that has been overlooked by the military government, and of course now it creates a situation of um, you know many unconstitutional um, uh, challenges, uh, ranging from you know court uh, court issues uh, as well as perhaps ongoing. Uh, possibilities of civilian suppression and therefore uh, it does not seem to be a smart move and I hope the African Union uh, regional leaders like ECOWAS will be able to participate in the process in, in, in a swift way to try to mitigate any situation that can go uh, you know, out of hand at this point in time.
1: I mean if one looks at commentary about it, uh, political analysts are saying this is technically a coup But what I think is more concerning about that, and that's already concerning, and this is Al Jazeera reporting, Um, it Mm -hmm. says uh, that sends a very strong message to France and to Chad's other international partners that they can expect continuity. I think that's the message they're trying to send, Um, business as usual, whatever that business was. So the rest of the world certainly isn't being very supportive of the people of Chad getting an answer to their problem which is uh, right now is a military coup scenario.
0: Yes, and that's one of the disturbing things um as you said as we started that uh, Chad is one of the poorest countries on on the continent. The last thing that you'd want to see a nation like that or even Chadians themselves want to see is them sinking into more deeper conflict uh, situations that will exacerbate the economic situation that is already worse. And secondly, they get even more exposed to insurgencies that are still taking place around the, their own country. And therefore, um, the difficulties uh, of, of not managing a precarious situation like this it disposes the country to more, uh, deeper issues that cannot be, you know, resolved, in a, you know, in, even on a negotiation table. Uh, here you are talking of a government that is still trying to fight, you know, uh, your Boko Harams and ISS and others in trying to keep uh, peace and stability in the country. We cannot add a democratic challenge on top of that. That just creates a bad precipice.
1: And uh, let's move on to Zimbabwe. In fact, ironically, yesterday afternoon I was talking to a Zimbabwean friend who told me he said, Shafiq, I've given up. Those were his (laughs) words. And um, let's look at what's happening there now. Zimbabwean parliament has voted to scrap a clause in the constitution on electing vice presidents, um, but there's, there's a second clause, and this is what worries everybody else more than the vice president one. Senior judges will also now be appointed by the president in consultation with the Judicial Service Commission instead of being subjected to public interviews uh, two major reversals uh, politically in Zimbabwe.
0: Definitely, Shafiq. Uh, again, another unprecedented move on our continent that really goes against uh, democratic principles and, and values. Um, the move that President Emerson Nangangwa has taken, uh, of course, is, is very clear. He wants to concentrate all uh, political power in the presidency, uh, and that is not, uh, is not, is not useful for a democratic country like Zimbabwe, which have a, real, a rich history uh, of its founding, but has, you know, over the years uh, been challenging and started deteriorating a little bit, um, you know, towards almost tyrannical uh, and, and, and it's becoming even now more dictatorship of our scenario. So the move uh, that the government there has taken doesn't overwell, uh, uh in terms of... Uh, the gains that you would have suspected that the country would be making, especially in such difficult times of the pandemic, uh, almost half of the population of the country is outside of the country uh, struggling to take like, a living wherever they are on the face of the earth and at the same time uh you know internally um, it just trains um, any possible um, possib- any possibilities of rebuilding uh what Zimbabwe used to be uh, a country where the rule of law was observed and democratic uh, principles were upheld. And so it's an unfortunate situation, and I could empathize with your friend. I hope he, he will find some energy to not to give up on their country.
1: No, absolutely. It, it really is uh, a very, very sad situation. Let's move on to Ethiopia. Um, mm-hmm. Ethnic violence surging in Ethiopia. Abi Ahmed, after such a promising uh, start, is now beginning to realize that one of Africa's biggest countries and one of Africa's most uh, varied countries in t- terms of ethnicities and geographies is now um, basically at war with itself.
0: Yeah, again, another unfortunate occurrence. And I, uh, the story does not really give much hope, as uh, what we're seeing, especially when it involved uh, human casualties. Um, Ethiopia, being one of those countries, one of the uh, most populous countries in the continent with over 100 million people, uh, which is, um, you know, uh, uses a, fed, a federal system as its ideology in terms of how it governs itself, um, created from its foundations a, 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 a recipe for what we are seeing now. Any democracy that is founded along ethnic lines. Has, it's just a matter of time before it explodes, and what we are seeing in Ethiopia right now is an explosion of the different ethnic groups not getting along together. And because their their political system is, is you know is founded on federalism, the challenges of mitigating such incidents as we are seeing now, and, and especially conflict related, are so enormous that you don't even know where to begin. It's one of the challenges that only Ethiopians and Ethiopian government can solve this, because an outsider cannot get into um, an ethnic battle to try to mediate. And so the the, the tragedy here is that there's going to continue um, casualties, human casualties, in the foreseeable future until uh, the government of Ethiopia is able to you know, quell these conflicts and bring some level of... Uh, sanity in the situation. So there is difficulties right now going on because of this, um, you know, partly I blame to the political ideology that we pursue that has never worked. Ethiopia is constantly in one form of conflict to the next, and there is very, very little semblance of peace. Well, and as you said, uh, Premier Ahmed, when he came on in power, kind of promised some hope that... It doesn't look like that at the moment. And I can only pray that they will get to a place of, um, you know, engaging with the different ethnic groups and coming to a place of normalcy and restore peace.
1: And, of course, I mean, you know, when we're talking ethnic groups in Ethiopia, um, I mean, people, you know, when when you look at Ethiopia on the map, it doesn't look like much. But when you start to um, sort of get into the, a detailed version of of the country it really overwhelms a person in terms of its size as you've said and the yeah. size of the groups i mean when you look at the amhara and Oromo groups and, and the Tigray people's liberation front yeah. i mean this is not small numbers of people amhara <laughs> exactly. and Oromo they go into millions uh, within, exactly. within the country. So it's not, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, band aid doesn't work here, as, as you've so correctly said. It has to be deep-rooted change. But I'm sure you'd yeah. agree with me. How on earth does one get Ethiopia to to, to, to be, be at peace with itself when most of us sitting outside are absolutely powerless? It, it is
0: going to... This is those classic cases where you say it will only take a miracle of a divine intervention to bring things like this to to normalcy because um, the nature of the conflict itself is so much uh, ethno-driven. And now what we are seeing is a rise of what I would call ethno-nationalism, where now different population groups start exerting their own uh, power and they start claiming the distinctiveness of their own, uh, uh, particular nature and their right to self-rule in their own land, which often exacerbates clashes, you know, uh, and relationships, inter-community relationships. Now, with that, just that description, I don't think there is any country on the face of the world today that has a clear straight answer on how such are sold, except the 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 people who are involved, Ethiopians, and only this so It's a costly uh, conflict because of the human tragedy. But it's also even more costly because the foundations or the political foundations of the country are on federalism, which is really about one ethnic group or group of them deciding that they need to have their own self-rule. Now, you cannot juxtapose that kind of political thinking and working in what you'd want to see as democracy. And I think what Premier Abiy was trying to bring the country back is to some, some level of democracy where there is consensus building, agreeing on a common vision, and participating as one. But because of the political ethnicization of, of, of the country, it is very hard to bring that kind of uh, ideology, a new ideology, over uh, decades of regions that have been ruling themselves. And now you are trying to bring some level of commonality without addressing this, you know the severity of things like uh, tribal identities, cultural identities, and language. So that when you see it from that point of view, it becomes a very complex situation to intervene. And even more harder is that African Union is situated there. So it's also interesting to see what African Union will try to do in mitigating this problem just under their nose.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is, is of course, um, uh, another very uh, um, relevant question. You're right. Mm. African Union's uh, headquarters are in Addis Ababa, uh, mm. What are the Africa's leaders going to say when they fly in for AU meetings to, to a country mm. <laughs> that they're visiting? that's divided, it's it's, it's resplendent, resplendent with, with so many political ironies.
0: Exactly, exactly. And this is where again um, the the commission, the African Union, it's really now put on the spotlight again. You know, there are so many ethnic uh, or conflicts rather that are taking place on the continent. It has been a little bit quiet. But this one now, this present conflict in Ethiopia, it happens right in their headquarters. So um, uh, they can't afford to keep quiet, and they can't afford to assume it. They will have to do something about it. And, of course, at this point in time, I'm sure discussions are probably happening behind the doors, and we'll get to know in the next coming days what is the AU's position in this as far as mitigating um, uh, the conflict so that it does not degenerate into a full-blown genocide.
1: And let's hope something good does come from Ethiopia. It really is such a fascinating country. It's huge, it's massive, it's historical. And uh, as Dr. Kariuki is telling us today, sometimes it's just simply incomprehensible. But Dr. Paul Karayuki, a Convener Africa Policy Circle, also executive director democracy development program at the U- university of kzn as always thank you for joining us
0: thank you so much shafiq for having me on the show In conversation